Well, I want to welcome you to worship wherever you're watching, whether you're live here with us or you're watching at home, or I want to give a special welcome to all you over in the chapel today. We're so glad that you've joined us for worship and also a happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. We sure do appreciate you all. So hopefully you've noticed how the weather's been improving, maybe a little more slowly than we were hoping, but it's been getting warmer out. There's more daylight these days, and there's also a countdown, at least in our house, going to the end of school. The school year is winding down, and that means summer is right around the corner. And one of the best parts of summer is getting away on family vacations. I was reading this past week that up on the North Shore, one of our favorite places to go, bookings are up 325% over last year. And so people are ready to travel, they're ready to get away, they're ready to go relax and recharge. I don't know about you, but some of my most vivid memories as a kid took place on family vacations. And now, having my own kids, I know that our family vacations are a place that we make many memories and have lots of good times together. So in the next few weeks, we're going to be in a series entitled Family Vacation. And we're going to talk about how God uses families in order to help teach us and challenge us and to help grow us. Now, I think family vacations can be great for a whole bunch of reasons. It's a time to get away. It's a time to spend quality time together. It's a time for new experiences and new places. Families are, family vacations are also great because they can teach us so many different lessons. Because how many of you can say all your family vacations go exactly to plan? I mean, they rarely do, right? We have to roll with different punches that come up. Maybe it's rain during a camping trip. Maybe it's a big storm that comes in when you're canoeing in the boundary waters. Maybe it's a flat tire on a road trip. You know, on family vacations, we have to learn flexibility. We have to learn perseverance. And maybe most importantly, we just have to learn how to get along with each other, oftentimes in very close quarters, Maybe it's just riding for hours in the car, and it just means people are going to get on each other's nerves. Now, I remember as a kid sitting in the back seat of our car, and I have a sister who's two years younger than me. I remember we would get in our spots, and then we would build up a wall between us because we thought this would be the best solution, and it it always made, made sure that we got off to a really good start, but, you know, maybe 20 minutes later, Someone would start to mess with it a little bit, and, and suddenly we would start kind of yelling to the front seat, like, hey, she touched me, or he took my toy, or eventually, you know, just she looked at me. And at some point, either mom or dad or both of them up in the front seat would have to turn around, and, and they'd say, you know, we're not even out of the Twin Cities yet. Can you just get it together? Well, you know, throughout the Bible, God uses families again and again, to, to challenge us and to teach us and to grow us. All the way back in the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, God chose on purpose one particular family in order to help reveal his heart and his character and his values. And he used this family as a model of his covenant love for each one of us. It's available to all people. 
you know, instead of just writing it down on some tablets, instead of just sending someone to talk about it, what God decided to do is to give us a live action visual aid, a live action example of what he's all about. So if we go back to the book of Genesis chapter 12, God appears to a man named Abram, and he promises Abram that he would have a great land and that he would make his family into a great nation. And not only that, that he would bless the entire earth and all of its people through Abram and his family. This comes in Genesis 12, starting with verse 1. And it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And here's the key. He says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. I mean, talk about a special family, right? I mean, this sounds incredible. The promises are huge, but there's one big problem. You see, years go by, and Abram has no children, and he has no heirs, and he doesn't have a lot of land. You see, this family that God says is going to bless the entire earth is really non-existent at this point. And then Abram realizes, well, he's 75 years old, and so is his wife. They don't have any kids. They're not getting any younger. And so Abram's confused. He's disheartened that all of God's promises have not been fulfilled. So he asks God, God, what about your promises? Were you just making up a story, or were you serious? And God answered Abram with a powerful, loving, and gracious covenant. And so if we fast forward a bit to Genesis chapter 15, God uses this very graphic covenant ceremony to seal his promises to Abram. Now, this covenant ceremony was how people would make pledges and agreements and contracts in this time in history. If two parties agreed to certain terms, instead of signing documents, instead of getting lawyers involved, what they would actually do is sacrifice some animals and chop them into pieces, all right? And then they would lay out those pieces on the ground, and then they would take off their sandals, and they would walk through all of that blood and gore. I mean, quite a picture, right? But you see, as they did this, as they walked through this area, they were saying to each other, if I ever break this agreement in any way, if I ever break this covenant, then let what was done to these animals be done to me. I mean, that's about as serious of a promise as you can possibly make. And the thing about it is there's no footnotes, there's no fine print, There's no legalese that you can somehow manipulate later. No, this is a straight-up promise. 
this covenant that's made. So God tells Abram, I want you to take a heifer and a goat and a ram and a dove and a pigeon, and I want you to dice them up, arrange it on the ground. And then God puts Abram into a deep sleep. And then God gives Abram this powerful vision where God himself passes through these pieces of animal. You see, Abram instantly knew what God was doing. God was making a covenant with him. He was sealing his promises to him. And God is the only one who passes through those bloody animal parts. And it means God is taking on all the responsibility of this covenant. It's an amazing covenant of love that God is making with Abram and all the people of the world. Now, think for a moment, imagine for a moment, if this is how we would seal agreements today. You know, instead of having to sit down and signing page after page of a contract, you know, maybe you hire someone to work on your home, a contractor, and, you know, they're not super reliable. Like, maybe you haven't seen them for a few days. They don't show up very often, and you're getting frustrated. Maybe it's been weeks since the project is supposed to have been done. Well, maybe you could invite them over. You could chop up a few animals, and you could tell them to walk in between it and repeat after you, may this be done to me if I don't show up regularly starting tomorrow. It's probably not going to work real well. But you see, God is illustrating to Abram and to us, anyone who encounters his life, that his promises are ironclad. They're unbreakable. God is completely faithful to Abram, who then becomes Abraham. Everything that God promises comes to be. Abraham has a family. He has heirs. He has land. And he, through his family, the entire world is blessed. But it absolutely does not stop there. God's plan continues on. Then centuries later, the Apostle Paul is talking to some Christians called the Galatians. But actually, what he tells them is also for us today. It's something for us to consider as followers of Jesus. So I want to read from Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 26. Paul says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And here's the key verse, verse 29. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Paul is saying, you are the heirs of that covenant that God made with Abram so many years ago. But why exactly are we the heirs? Is it because of something we did? Is it because we're so incredibly obedient and so incredibly moral? 
Well, you need to know that in Galatia, the people who Paul is writing to, many false teachers were coming and telling the people that they had to still follow the Old Testament law to a T. They had to follow every single Old Testament command perfectly, basically telling them their future was dependent on how obedient and how moral they would be. But you see, here Paul wants to make it clear to them and to us today. He wants to make it clear that your legacy, your future, is rooted wholly and completely in the promises of God, which were sealed in that covenant that God made so many centuries ago. And you see, what that means, church, is that we are a part of God's covenant family. God's covenant promises are still good, and they are still in effect today. And it means we are heirs to everything that God has in heaven and on earth. And just like God called Abraham and his family to bless the world and to draw people to him, we have that same charge and that same responsibility. We are sent out as the family of God, as a church family, as families at home, even as individuals, we're sent out so that God's heart and his desire would be known, that the world would be blessed. And you see, we accomplish that task by connecting people to Jesus. Because Jesus himself is ultimately Abraham's descendant through whom the world is saved and blessed. So the big idea I want you to take away today is this. Throughout history, God uses families to spotlight his covenant love and grace and to point people to Jesus. You see, Abraham's family was only the beginning. We have the same charge and responsibility today. Now, if you trace the history of Abraham's family, if you read through the Old Testament and you read about the generations that come after him, you'll notice pretty quickly they had many ups and downs. And there's many times you want to ask God, like, God, are you sure they were the right family to pick? Like, do you for sure know what's going to happen? Because these people are making all sorts of disastrous decisions. I mean, at times it seems like they are trying to ruin God's plans by whatever means they can. And so while it's startling and even disappointing to read about all of this, I think it also makes Abraham's family extremely relatable. Because every single one of us struggles to represent God well, don't we? Every one of us, we start out with good intentions, but then we make so many mistakes along the way. Every one of our families has good days, but then we have bad days. There are times when we shine love to others, and then there are many days when those dark clouds just kind of settle over it all. So as I thought about Abraham's story, I thought about his family, his descendants, I couldn't help but think about all the parallels that there are between them and a typical family vacation. 
And so I want to focus on three phrases that you've probably heard many times before, either growing up or as a parent, or maybe both. And I think there are some lessons that we can learn and some values that we can model as we focus on these three things. So first, this is a phrase, I don't know, we heard it a lot growing up. I know I've said it to my kids. Maybe you've used it before. It's the phrase, don't make me turn this car around. As I mentioned before, my sister and I were masters of finding ways to annoy each other. And the key to this for us was to do it under the radar. Like you wanted to make sure you were not seen in the rearview mirror. But the thing is, things always escalated to the point where someone would lose their cool and the front seat would have to get involved and they would say something like, don't make us turn the car around or maybe even more scary, it was don't make us pull over. I don't know if we ever did pull over. We, I think we were just always afraid of what would happen if that would take place. But you see, the people of Israel, who were the family of God descended from Abraham, they had many similar struggles. As they were headed for the promised land that God was going to give them, they acted like little children on a road trip. They didn't like where God was leading. They didn't like what he provided. They didn't like their leaders. There was numerous times where God's people complained and they whined. And one of my favorites comes in Numbers chapter 11, where it says this, even the Israelites themselves began moaning. We don't have any meat. In Egypt, we could eat all the fish we wanted. And there were cucumbers, melons, onions, and garlic. But we're starving out here. And the only food we have is this manna. Now what you need to understand is manna is a miraculous food that God is providing for them day in and day out. He's providing for all of their needs as they travel. And instead of being thankful, all they can do is complain. And not only that, they wish they were back in slavery. I don't know if you can get more dramatic than that. You know, God, I'm not thrilled with your menu. I'd rather be a slave but instead of giving up on them, instead of turning the car around and ditching them, God just remains gracious like he always does. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting with verse 15. It says, Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock, he fed you with manna in the wilderness of food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all of this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. Now look at this part. It says, in order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. See, he made a covenant. He made a promise. And time after time after time, God responds to our bad behavior and our bad attitudes with incredible grace and love. I think family vacations are also a great opportunity to model forgiveness and grace. You know, how can your family 
best reflect God's forgiveness and grace to the world? How can you be a witness to God's character and heart in how you treat each other? Well, number two, it's the statement, don't miss what's outside your window. You see, with the advent of the iPhone and just phones in general and the ability to watch movies in cars and vans, I know for our kids, we often have to remind them to put down the screen and to look out the window at the scenery. You know, don't miss this incredible landmark. Don't miss the historical marker. Don't miss the significant place that we've traveled to because it's so easy to get distracted and to miss out on what we came for in the first place. Well, you see, as the descendants of Abraham traveled through the desert, they repeatedly had to be reminded to stop and see and remember God's faithfulness and his goodness. And I think one of the best remedies for feeling sorry for yourself or complaining about your circumstances is simply to remember all the ways that God has been faithful in the past. In the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, it's telling more history about Abraham's descendants. The Israelites are attacked by the Philistines, but they're victorious because God gives them help. And so in 1 Samuel, Samuel, their leader, then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshana, and he named it Ebenezer. Have you ever heard that term before? There's a hymn that says, here I raise my Ebenezer, and you might wonder, what in the world are they talking about? We see the word Ebenezer, it says, means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. You see, Samuel knew it was so important for them to stop and to remember and to commemorate God's faithfulness and his help. It's easy to forget what he's done. It's easy to forget that he consistently keeps his promises. And so Samuel, just like other leaders all along the way in the Old Testament, took time to stop and mark these events. And I think we, just like the Israelites, need to be reminded again and again of God's faithfulness. And so I think family vacations are a great opportunity to remember God's faithfulness to us in the past. I mean, do you need something to do when you have hours of driving? Maybe turn off all the screens and electronics and simply remember all the times that God has shown up for you. But don't stop there because we need to share those stories with others. There are other people in our lives that need to hear stories of God's faithfulness. Because you see, when people see God's faithfulness in other families and lives, it's that much easier to trust their life to him. When people experience and see faithfulness, God's faithfulness in other people's lives, it becomes easier for them to trust him. So don't stop sharing those landmarks and those milestones of faith. Remember all the ways that God has provided and blessed and been present with you. Parents, it's your responsibility to remind your children, to help them overcome all of the distractions 
so that they can see God at work consistently in your family and in their lives. Thirdly, it's the phrase, it's not too late for a fresh start. Now, one of the favorite things that I love to do with my family is to go hiking. Though, I would say my children are a little less enthusiastic about it, typically, than I am. And I remember when my daughter, Elise, was around eight years old. She told us, very serious, she came up and she said, you know, when I grow up and I have kids, I'm going to send my husband and my kids out on a hike and I'm going to stay home. So we've hiked all over the North Shore together. It's one of our favorite destinations. And throughout their younger years, well, really till just a few years ago, what inevitably would happen on our hikes is about halfway through, one of them or both of them would sit down in the trail and they would refuse to go on. And I have picture proof of this, but I promised them I would not show these pictures to you. But at this point, we'd have to try to explain to them there's not much of a choice. I mean, it's the same distance to go back the way we came as it is to go forward. You can't just wait here because we can't come and get you. And so typically I would think, well, I'll just keep walking and see what happens. But my wife, Lexi, is much more empathetic and a much better uh, motivator than I am. And so typically she'd give them a pep talk. And she would say, it's not too late for a fresh start. It's not too late to turn things around. You know, I think all of us could use a pep talk from time to time. We all need a reminder that it's possible to have a fresh start each and every day. Now, the descendants of Abraham, as they wandered in the wilderness together, they, they needed some pep talks. As Joshua, one of their leaders, became old, he was ready to give up his leadership, and he was ready to pass away in old age. But he gave this amazing pep talk in the book of Joshua, chapters 23 and 24, and in it, he reminded them of God's faithfulness, and he challenges them to keep following God into the future. Here's what he says. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. See, a family vacation, but really each and every day, is a great opportunity to experience a fresh start. You see, because of God's amazing grace and the forgiveness that we receive through Jesus, no matter what happens in the past, even if it's just in the last few minutes and you're on a long car ride, whatever that is doesn't need to dictate your future. It's never too late to turn things around. It's never too late to choose to follow Jesus. So how about your family? Maybe today is the day you need to say, along with Joshua, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. You see, church, we get to play a part in God's ongoing story of bringing redemption to the world. 
And since the time of Abraham and his family, God has shown his covenant love powerfully through families. So whether you're heading out on a road trip with your fam, whether you're in a season where it feels like your coworkers are really your family, whether you're just meeting and serving with your small group who's become a family, let's remember this truth that God uses our families of all different kinds to spotlight his covenant love and grace and to point people to Jesus. You see, together, we have an amazing opportunity to reflect who he is each and every day. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your covenant love that you've shown to us, these promises you've made that are ironclad, they're guaranteed. God, help us to take comfort in your love and your grace in how you will always provide for us, how you are always present with us. God, use our families of all different kinds to bless the world so that people can see your hope, your love, your grace, through how we interact so that they can come to know you through knowing us. God, we want to see your kingdom grow. We want to see more people come to faith in you. And so use us as you've used so many families in the past. God, it's such a privilege to be a part of your team. And so we ask you to give us the strength, give us the guidance, give us the courage to represent you well in all that we say and do. And so we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together, amen.